0: The following class was held at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at RedeemerNC.org. I want to introduce our wonderful speakers for this evening. Dr. Kristen Kellen is an assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's hard even for a speech therapist to say. Uh, Her focus... Is counseling children, teens, and their families. She is married to her husband, Josh, and they have three little ones, David, Sophia, and Joy Anna. Kristen is the co author of The Gospel for Disordered Lives and The Whole Woman. Dr. Julia Higgins is an assistant professor of ministry to women and Associate Dean of Graduate Program Administration at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She teaches in the Ministry to Women degree program, with her ministry focus being college-aged and young women. We have some here. She is married to Tony, who serves as Executive Director and Staff Counselor at Bridge Haven Counseling Associates. She has authored several journal reviews and blog posts that primarily focus on women in ministry. Her passion is equipping women to teach the Bible and to serve the local church. She co-edited The Whole Woman, has contributed to Lifeway Women, the reference desk, and serves as a doctrinal reader for Missions Mosaic, a publication of the WMU. Dr. Kellen and Dr. Higgins co authored the book, The Whole Woman, Ministering to Her Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength, from which they will be teaching us this evening. Our first session will be with Kristen Kellen.
1: All right. Thank you, Chrissy, for that introduction. Uh, It is a mouthful for me as well to say Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We just call it Southeastern. Uh, So you can join the family just saying Southeastern. Um, You do have a copy of The Whole Woman. I think each of you are given that book. Um, The premise of that book uh, is that we are called, the greatest commandments in Scripture are that we are to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, And what we did was we took that pattern of loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and applied it to loving our neighbor. Uh, So Julia and and I were asked to speak on that topic. Uh, But rather than reiterate what you can read for yourselves, what we thought we would do tonight is expound on what it means to love God and love others, right? So we have that commandment from Scripture, from Matthew 22 specifically, But that even though that verse tells us to love God and love others, we're kind of left asking the question: what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, So my task tonight, I'm gonna touch on both of those: loving God, what it means to love God, how we how we kind of do that, and how we love others fully. And then Julia, coming second, is going to dive deep in what it means to love God. How do we do that well? Um, so we are going to be in John 15, if you'd like to go ahead and open up uh, to the scriptures there. Uh, as you're doing that, I'll give you a second to do that. Uh, I do want to pray to open up our time together and just ask the Lord to uh, speak, but speak as you need to hear, um, rather than maybe necessarily what I've Plan to give, Uh, so pray with me as um, after you turn to John 15. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege that it is to come here and come here freely, Father. That we have the opportunity to open a copy of your word, Lord. That you have given it to us, but Father, that we can sit here and we can read what you, Father, have told us. Um, not what I have to say, not what anyone else has to say, but Father, what your word has to say, your good and perfect word. Father, I pray that you would, uh, that your spirit would help us to understand, that your spirit would help us to see what you would have us to see. Father, I pray that you would help me to be faithful, to walk through this passage together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, we are in John 15. We're going to be walking through verses 1 through 17. But before I jump in and go verse by verse here, I think that's the best way to walk through this, I think it's really important for us to understand the context of this passage. John 15 is almost smack dab in the middle of the book. Uh, But John, the book of John is an interesting book because the first half of the book in many ways uh, chronicles Jesus's teachings, Jesus's signs. He's trying to do something really specific in his book uh, to prove who he is as God incarnate, God made flesh. But all of this is working up to at the end of John, the second half in many ways of John, where Jesus goes to the cross, right? We know that that's the culmination of each of the gospels and the book of John is no different. So in this section of John, uh, specifically chapters 13 through 15 and after, uh, this is where Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, okay? So he's, he's done his teaching ministry, he's done his miracles, he's disclosed who he is, and now this is really his last message, if you will, before he goes to Calvary. Uh, now we know that he knows what's coming, Okay, So as he's saying these words, uh, he knows that these are the last words, the last message or sermon that his disciples are going to get from him. Uh, and I think that that lends itself to a little bit more weight or importance. I think we should pay attention to it in light of that. Going back a, a chapter or two, uh, in verse 13, he begins this passage, this this speech by washing his disciples' feet. Do you remember that? Uh, where he has all of his disciples and he kneels down and he washes their feet. Um, and he's showing them uh, that that love and that care as he's getting ready to send them out. But at the end of John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, he gives us this interesting statement. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And those verses there, I think, draw our minds back to the greatest commandment, right? That we're to love God and love others to show that we are his disciples. Uh, But he has this kind of odd phrase a new commandment. What do you mean a new commandment? Uh, Again, I think this echoes back to the Matthew 22 passage to love God and love others because he's summarizing the whole commandment. He's summarizing the whole law by saying, love God, love others. So we have this kind of in the background. And then in chapter 14, right before our passage, Jesus is talking about loving others and how he will give the Holy Spirit after he leaves to enable them to do that. All right. So this command to love God and love others is couched in a demonstration of Jesus loving, washing his disciples' feet, telling them to love and then saying, "I'm going to give you the spirit to help you do that." Okay, so this is this is our context here for John 15. If you're a note taker, I know y'all have notebooks. The main message that I want to reiterate to tonight is that we are to abide In God's love for us, which then leads us to love others. We are to abide in God's love for us, which then leads us to love others. Okay? There's two points there. Hopefully you saw that. Abiding in love for the Lord, leading us to love others. Let me read this passage for us. I'm going to read all the way through. And then we're just going to go verse by verse and walk through what it has to say for us. Follow along with you, Will. Now, as I read through that passage, you're probably thinking, wow, he uses the word abide a lot and love a lot. (laughs) Those are the key themes that we're going to be working through uh, tonight. But I think this passage is separated out into two main sections. Uh, The first is abiding in God, loving God, and the second is loving others as Jesus has loved them. Um, But as we go through this, I want you to uh, to remember this connection of abiding and loving. Okay, so when we hear those two terms. Connect those two in your mind. All right. So verse one, he starts out, and he says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." Now, if you've studied the book of John, uh, perhaps you'll remember that John uh, includes seven "I am" statements. Right? These are statements of Jesus' divinity. He's walked through and said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's disclosing who he is. This one in verse 1 is the last of those seven. Uh, he's trying to come behind his other statements and make the same point um, that he and the Father are one and he is one. God. He is God incarnate. But we have this interesting imagery here, right? I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, the one that tends to the vine. Um, Now, I I would venture to say that none of you in here are vine dressers. Is that a fair? Okay, good. Uh, But how many of you are plant people? You like to grow things. Okay, you like to grow things. I like to grow things, but I kill everything. So I am not the model vine dresser, but, but the father is. Uh, so we can, we can go into that. But keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, you, we know that in order to foster growth and foster fruit on a vine, right? Let's say that we have a rose bush. If there's a, a dead fruit or a dead flower, what do we do? We pluck it off, right? Because that dead fruit, that dying fruit or that dying flower... Sucks the nutrients from the healthy fruit or the healthy flowers that's what he's getting at here in verses one and two right This is the role of the vine dresser the vine dresser or the vine keeper uh, is the one that ensures that the vine is healthy and it's healthy to bear fruit that's the point of having the vine right it's it's not just for looks it's to bear fruit and so here Jesus is setting up this imagery for us that would have echoed well with them in this this um, time and he's telling he's drawing this analogy for us that just like we would pluck off that that bad flower or fruit the vine dresser removes takes away verse two those that don't bear fruit he he prunes them and that pruning has to happen right otherwise the vine is not healthy Now, we can see where this is going. We're going to get to this more a little later. Uh, But what does that look like? Why does that happen? Uh, But this has to happen. This pruning has to happen so that it may bear more fruit. Uh, Most scholars who look at this passage um, would make the connection, I think rightly so, to say this is those who uh, would claim to be followers of Christ, uh, the apostate Christians, if you would, Uh, that claim to be followers of Christ, but they're not bearing any fruit. They're not actually healthy. They're not coming from the vine. Uh, My mind, when I read this, goes to uh, the passage in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Many will approach me and say, Lord, Lord, I did signs in your name. And what does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. Right? This is who I think Jesus has in mind here. Those who say, yes, I'm fruit of the vine. But they're really not. They're not bearing fruit. Those are the ones that are going to be removed. That's the pruning that is happening here. In verse 3, he takes this little aside. It feels a little odd. Uh, but he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here, what I think Jesus is doing is he's, he's bringing their minds back to the Old Testament concept. Right? They had to be clean to to come before the Lord's presence, right? Uh, They had to make sacrifices. They had to cleanse themselves. So he's using verbiage that they already know to help connect these concepts here. But yet I think it's really important because he says already you are clean. This is a past tense. It's already happened. They have already abided, right? We're going to get to that concept. uh, Because of what... Jesus has done for them. This is is already done, already you're clean. Why? Because of the word that I've spoken. Jesus has given them what they need to do what he's asking them to do here, right? And remember the context of verse 14. He's giving them the spirit to help them do it as well. So they are already in place. They're already part of the vine and the branches. And he's saying, continue to do that. Here's verse four, abide in me and I in you, as the branch can not bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we have in this verse multiple times, three times, that word abide. Now, I don't know about you, I don't use that word in everyday language, right? That's just not in my my normal vocabulary. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to abide I think that that word means that we stay in something, right? So if I'm abiding in something, I've placed myself in it, and I'm remaining there. I'm staying there. One definition I saw said to tolerate or withstand without yielding or submitting. So we're staying in place no matter what happens, okay? No matter what comes, we're remaining steadfast, and we're remaining faithful, But again, remember, verse 3, this has already happened. You've already been placed in this spot to stay, to remain, to be faithful. Right? That's already been accomplished for you. And I think it's interesting that Jesus here says, abide in me and I in you. This is a mutual thing that's happening here. It's a mutual abiding. There's such connection here. Between us and Jesus. And just as we we're remaining steadfast, He remains steadfast as well. He's not wavering, and we don't have to waver, right? We can abide in Him as He abides in us. And connecting this back, right? The, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Um, so Jesus is still making that connection. Abide in me in order to bear fruit, in order to grow and to flourish. You have to rest in me. You have to remain in me. Be faithful in me is what he's calling them to do. We'll keep going. Verse 5. He says, I am the vine. That goes back to verse 1. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, this is interesting because in, in verse 4, he's talking in the negative, right? If You can't bear fruit by yourself. And then in verse 5, they are bearing fruit here. So Jesus is reiterating what he's already said. Um, I think this reminds the disciples that they can't do this without his help, right? You can't bear fruit without the giver of that fruit, <laughs> right? Uh, and that seems so simple, but I think he's going to great lengths to tell us this. Um, how many of you have young kids? Let me give an example. Okay, lots of you. <clears throat> I don't know about your kids, um, but my kids like to eat, leave half-eaten apples, right? Anybody? Okay, I hear some chuckles. Um, my kids love apples. They like to leave half-eaten apples. Um, or they will pick these beautiful bouquets of weeds, flowers, and bring them to me, which is super sweet. But what happens with the apple or the flower because it's off the vine? It dies, right? The apple turns brown, the flower wilts. It doesn't matter if we put it in water. Ultimately, fruit, flowers separated from the vine are going to die. That They're not connected to their source of life. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. We have to remain connected to the source of life. And if we don't, we will be like that apple. We will be like that flower that wilts and fades. Much less will we actually bear fruit and grow, right? Um, So we see here too that it is imperative of us to bear fruit. What is that what does that mean? What does it mean to bear fruit? I think my mind immediately goes to the fruit of the Spirit. We have that same kind of imagery there, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that the Spirit produces in us. But I also can't help thinking about back in the garden, remember when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're there for a short time before they make some really bad choices? Um, They're flourishing, right? Everything is growing as it should. They're relating to one another as they should. They are bearing fruit, if you will. They're living in the way that God has created them to live. I think between those two concepts, we get a pretty clear picture of what it's saying here. This fruit of the Spirit, these are things that God originally intended for us to naturally develop in ourselves. But in order to do that, we have to abide. We have to abide in the vine. Okay? Verse 6, it gives us a warning, right? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. To put it really bluntly, those branches are worthless, right? If they're not connected to the vine, we might as well toss them in the fire. They're they're worthless. They're doing nothing. Now, I think there is a a little bit of um, leaning here towards judgment, and future judgment that's coming. I don't think we should shy away from that. Um, but I think much more clearly, it's telling us that we, we have to be bearing fruit. If we are abiding in him, we will be bearing fruit. We will be seeing this. Um, because, and if we're not, we have no purpose. Ultimately, we have no purpose. Verse 7. It's another tricky one. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, you might read that verse and think, prosperity gospel, I can pray for whatever I want. I want a jet outside to fly me here and there. That's not what he's saying. Let's be very, very clear here. Uh, If we see, though, in this context, if you abide in me, if we're remaining in him and he's remaining in us, what are the things we're going to ask for? the things that he wants, right? Our will is going to conform to his will. And I think that's reiterated by saying, "And my words, abide in you. Jesus is never going to ask his words through us they're never going to ask anything contradictory to what he desires. So therefore, yes, ask whatever you wish because whatever you wish will be what I wish for you. And ask it boldly. Come and, and abiding in him, ask and it will be done for you. And here's the purpose statement in verse 8. All of this is culminating in the purpose in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. This abiding, this bearing fruit is for the glory of the Father. It's not for our glory. It's not that we look good. It's not that we necessarily bear fruit just to bear fruit. It's to bring glory to the Father. And that's what Jesus' whole life on earth was about, bringing glory and honor to the Father. You bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now we might read that, so prove to be my disciples, and think, wait a minute, do I have to work towards something? Do I have to prove that I'm a Christian? No, no, no. I think what that word means is to demonstrate that you are my disciples, Right? We're not proving anything to God. It says later, he calls us, he chose us. We didn't choose him. So we can't say that we're earning it by any means, but saying you're demonstrating and you're showing to other people that you are my disciples. Right? That fruit is coming um, on purpose to glorify the father as we abide and as we rest in him. We'll get to that in a minute. All right, let's keep going through, friends. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, here's where I think these two, I said, we hear the word abide a lot and we hear the word love a lot. Here's the verse where those two things come together, right? Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. Um, Ultimately, that love, as I have loved you, was demonstrated on the cross was the ultimate picture of of Jesus loving us. And he's saying, abide, abide in that. Rest in that. He's already done it. And he's demonstrated, as I have loved you, the Father loves him, he loves us. Abide in that. It's already done. It's already finished. How do we do that? Keep reading. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 10 here makes this connection between abiding in love and obedience. So how are we demonstrating that we're abiding, that we're resting, that we're remaining in Jesus? Obedience, right? And this isn't an obedience that is drudgery or difficult this is a natural outflowing of abiding in Jesus and in his love for us and he's the example of that just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love Jesus has given us the example of what it means to abide in the love of the father and we'll go on to see him loving others as well we have the perfect example all wrapped up in Jesus and our Savior. Verse 11 gives us a secondary purpose. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here again, we see this connection between abiding and loving and obedience and joy. All of these things are wrapped up together. So we should put these things together. As we think about loving, we think about abiding, we think about obedience and we think about joy As we think about obedience, we should think about abiding in love and joy. These four things are all wrapped up together, all with the aim of glorifying God and being joyful. The joy is in us, and we have that fullness there. All right, so these first 11 verses have, I think, made the point that we are to abide in God's love for us. Hopefully that is Overwhelmingly clear in <laughs> these first first eleven verses, but then here comes this shift in the second set, right? Verses twelve through seventeen gives us kind of the the implications. The okay, so now we know that we're abiding in God's love for us. We're to love God fully. What does that mean? It means we love others, right? It means that uh, in our bearing fruit that is an outpouring of love for one another as well. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How, how has Jesus loved them? Well, he's about to go to the cross, right? Which means he's loving them sacrificially. Um, he is about to give his life for them, and his love for them is fully sacrificial. He's going to give up everything, uh, for him, for them. He has been patient with them. We can think about the many, many times where uh, Jesus has said something, one of his, or one of his disciples um, just doesn't get it, right? I think about Peter, I think about Thomas, I think about Nicodemus, right? All of these people that Jesus is laying out, here's who I am, here's who I am. Uh, and rather than rebuke them, Jesus patiently responds to them, lovingly responds to them, and, and gives them clarity, right? He teaches so patiently. He loves them so patiently, and he loves them fully. Uh, Jesus gives everything for them, right? And they haven't seen the fullness of that just yet, but Jesus knows it's coming. Uh, so he's speaking in light of what's coming, so they'll remember Love others as you have loved us, Jesus. How did you, oh, you just went to the cross for us, right? That's how I'm to love other people, sacrificially, patiently, fully. He gives us this example. We're not left in the dark wondering, how do we love other people? What would Jesus do, right? Jesus loved them fully. We have that example there. Verse 13, I think all of us could probably cite this verse. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus, we know here, is speaking prophetically. He's looking forward to say, hey, I'm about to do this for you. I've told you, you don't really believe me, but this is coming. Um, But I think sometimes we might read that verse and think, okay, so the greatest way I can love someone is to die for them. Yes, but I think there's a lot more than that here. You see where it says... Greater love have no one than this, that someone lay down his life? What does your life entail? Is it just the breath that you're breathing? Is it just that you're alive? No. There's so much more to you, to your life, than just being alive. And I think that's what he's getting at there. That when we think about how do we love people, that we love them with our whole being, our whole life, heart, soul, mind, and strength. All part of us. That's how we love people. And that's how we're to love God, right? With our whole being. Um, That we are to love them with with every part of ourselves. Now, in the introduction, Chrissy noted that I'm a counseling professor. So forgive me. I'm going to put on my counseling hat for just a minute. I can't help it, y'all. So when we see this, this verse has also been distorted at times. To say that we have to be a doormat or we have to be recipients of abuse, I don't think that's what this is saying, okay? Because I would, I would strongly assert that it is also loving to hold others accountable, right? So, so let me walk through an example here. I don't think it's loving to sacrifice dignity in abuse, Right? The sacrifice there may be risking hurt, risking rejection, might be risking hurt to call out sin and hold someone accountable. There's still risk there. There's still sacrifice there. But, but even Jesus made choices in response to how he was treated. He was always loving and he always responded rightly. Uh, but Jesus also was not a doormat. All right. So I think we do have to kind of have some categories in our minds. Now, let me say this as well. Um, Allison, when you were talking about the mama bear, girl, I feel that <laughs> with my littles. And there is a place where I sacrifice and we sacrifice for others in those sorts of situations. Okay, But I don't think that also excludes giving up One's being, right in abusive situations or extremes. Okay, so I just want to make that distinction. I'll take my counselor hat off, but I've seen that verse used wrongly. So I want to make that very, very clear. Uh, but Jesus would give all of Himself there. Now, I think that as we we think about this verse and loving others and giving ourselves, um, maybe like Allison shared. Uh, We think, hey, I do a pretty good job of that, right? Mamas of littles, you probably sacrifice a lot (laughs) every day, right? Um, But there are also times where uh, maybe we don't want to sacrifice anymore. Maybe we don't want to be patient with those who hurt our children or, or those who are rude to us or cut us off in traffic. I think there is a blanket here as well to say we do need to love others, not just those that we choose to love when we choose to love them, okay? There's a lot of complexity in this verse, but um, I, I love that Jesus is tying this back. The verse before it is tying this back to how he has loved us. Again, there's our example of how Jesus gave his life for his friends. Speaking of friends, verse 14 You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, this is an interesting phrase. I don't know that many of us really think about, hey, I'm God's friend, right? That's not really how we often think of it. I think what he's doing there is bringing our minds back to Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God as opposed to being an enemy, right? And Abraham received the covenant from which we come, right? That God promised to bless him. Abraham was the friend of God, and we are his seed. We have been reconciled to God such that we are no longer enemies, but we're also no longer neutral. We're brought close. We're friends. We have an an intimacy with God that friends have with one another. That'll blow your mind if you really think about it, right? We no longer stand opposed to him. We are like we thought about earlier with Adam and Eve in the garden, we can have that closeness with God. We can be intimate with God like Adam and Eve were before sin. I think that's what he's calling our minds to here. He says that no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. He has revealed in his word and in his world, he's revealed to us what we need to know. He's he's given that. Um, and, And he's made that known to us in the sense of pulling back the curtain and showing us what's real, what's there. God has given us, because we are his friends, he's given us what we need to know. And we're invited to know that, right? He gives this to us freely, You can open your Bible and you can read all of the things that Jesus is referencing here. And that is an incredible privilege, right? Let us not underestimate the privilege that it is that the God who made all things says, here's what you need to know about me. That's incredible, right? That's a privilege. And he gives that to us because we are his friends. He's made that known to us. But that comes with responsibility, Right. Verse 16 addresses that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. This is summarizing a whole lot in one verse, reminding us that he made us his friend, not the other way around. Right. Um, We would be apart from him had he not chosen us. Um, Ephesians 1 says from the foundation of the world, he called us to himself. He revealed this word to us. He gave us his spirit so that we would bear fruit and so that we would ask him for what we need, right? He tells us that plainly to do it. He delights. I think he delights in that as well. Verse 17, our last verse, and i will give us some application here. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is our command. Abide, love, obey so that you can love others. Love others fully. Love others sacrificially. Love others patiently as he has given us the example. This is why he's given us these words. So you will love one another. And I think that this is a natural thing, right? If we're abiding in God's love for us, if we know about how much he's loved us, we can't help but love him and love others in response, right? It's just a natural outpouring of what we're doing and what he's called us to do. This isn't a burdensome command, right? It's a a normal and a natural thing. So you have this passage Lots of abiding, lots of loving, lots of obeying. What are our takeaways? What do, we, what do we take from this? I think there's three lessons here. Again, if you're taking notes, three lessons. The first, very simple, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Find your rest in him. Find your treasure in him. Find your peace in him. Not yourself because you can't do it on your own, right? You cannot rest on your own. You cannot have peace on your own. You certainly can't find salvation in yourself. Rest in Christ, abide in Christ. I think it's really important to think about that that's actually a passive thing, right? That when we abide in him, we remain, we stay. I'm not going anywhere, right i'm not pursuing something i'm not chasing after the next thing i'm just resting i'm just staying and what a beautiful thing that is right the branch doesn't have to work to stay attached to the vine it's it's passive it's it's easy right so abide in christ the second one is not passive it is active and that's bear fruit bear fruit Follow his commandments and his example. Uh, Now that means we have to know them. uh, So we can't obey if we don't know his instructions. (laughs) We have to read the scriptures and know it and pray. uh, But follow his commandments. Obey. Seek to glorify the Lord. I think we should cultivate spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines we call them, um, to, to cultivate that fruit of the Spirit But this is the part that you have to be active in, right? That you work towards obedience, that you work towards glorifying the Lord, that you know his word. This is your part of it, okay? God has already brought you in and grafted you in so you can abide, and now you do this in response. Part three, let part of your bearing fruit be loving others with sacrificial humility. Let part of your bearing fruit be loving others with sacrificial humility. I think this means that we consider others greater than ourselves. Scriptures talk about that, that we elevate others, that we give of ourselves fully, that we give holistically. Um, Our book helps with that, shameless plug, Uh, can help you with that holistic love for one another. But all the while... As you're bearing fruit and loving others, remember the cross. Remember that Jesus already gave us the example of what this looks like. We have descriptions of his life, of his ministry, of his death on the cross, and his resurrection. We know by his spirit we are able to obey his commandments, right? And that is loving one another, I believe, with sacrificial humility. All right? So, your takeaways from this passage, abide in Christ, seek to bear fruit, and let part of that bearing fruit be loving others with sacrificial humility, all right? Pray with me, and we'll finish. Father, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this reminder, Lord, that you have, you have already brought us near, that you ask us to abide and to rest and to love, and that outpouring of that is loving you and loving others god we need help with that though we we can't do that on our own lord we ask that you would you would help us um to to know you to know jesus and to to follow his example in that lord thank you that you help us to do that that everything that you have commanded us to do including this you empower us to do as well and so we can rest in that and rest in your promises, God. I pray that you would help us in that as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this class from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina.
1: Feel free to make
0: copies of this class to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more classes, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.